0: Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, here's your host, Patricia Raskin.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show. Hello, yes, I'm just going to introduce you for a minute, Linda. We have a great guest. Her name is Linda Dahl. Her book is Loving Our Addicted Daughters Back to Life. Just want to give uh, our audience some sales points here to let you know really the statistics. Five million women, 5.7% of females age 12 and over are addicts, according to the National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence. That was in 2012. Prescription drug use by young people of both genders is America's number one health problem, reports the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse at Columbia University. That was in 2011. And millions of parents and other family members, friends, and partners are negatively impacted by a loved one's disease of addiction. Linda Dahl is our expert today and our author. Her book, again, is Loving Our Addicted Daughters Back to Health, It's a guidebook for parents. Linda Dahl is the author of the New York Times Notable Book of the Year and recipient of the Best Creative Writing for 2010 Award by Writers in the Sky. During her 30-year writing career, she's published six books and has been featured on numerous radio and print interviews, including NPR, BBC, Canadian, German, French, and Scandinavian broadcasts. Welcome, Linda.
2: Thank you. I'm so glad to be with you.
1: Thank you. All right, why did you write Loving Our Addicted Daughters? back to life. Did you experience this personally?
2: Yes, indeed. Uh, Yeah, the book came out of my own experience with my um, then-teenage daughter who became progressively went from risky drug use Mm. and uh, ended up becoming addicted to opiates, and um, in that process, which is... Heartrending for parents. I uh, had many, many questions, and it was difficult to get the answers. And I decided to write the book that I wish I'd had mm-hmm. when I was searching so hard to help her. And I do want to say that she is uh, some years into recovery today. Mm-hmm. She's, she's happy, healthy, and uh, living a good life. So there's there's a lot of hope.
1: Yeah, and that's really what you write about in your book, is Offering Parents Hope. How is this book unique, Linda? It's, it's the
2: first book that, that is, really brings together all kinds of research that deals specifically with women and their needs, and young women, uh, that's written for you know, a general audience.
1: Mm. And that
2: hasn't, for some reason, no one has really thought to do that before.
1: Mm, yeah. Well, and it's firsthand.
2: Well, there it turns out there's a, a tremendous amount of of uh, valuable research that's that's been done that that should be that should be known.
1: Mm, very important. Now, how does this book address recovery?
2: Oh, recovery. Um, it, it, I think it addresses it constantly in in so far as um, you know, what the aim, what the aim of, a, of a parent always is, is, is to help their daughter become healthy. And uh, it's about health, and it's about understanding uh, a, a chronic brain disease.
1: Mm. It doesn't have
2: a cure, but does have, um, like many other diseases, can be um, well-managed so that health can be recovered. So recovery is built into every aspect of, you know, dealing with uh, a a child, in this case a young woman, who might be struggling with um, addiction in one way or another.
1: Yeah, and... In your book, would you say the target audience for your book, Linda, is parents because the subtitle is a guidebook for parents?
2: Yes, yes, it really is for parents or other loved ones. Uh, it, you know, I have had a number of young women themselves who have been through the, you know, have been through recovery, read it and told me that they found it very helpful. And friends of mine, uh, like. Myself, I'm in recovery, by the way.
0: I'm in mm-hmm. long-term
2: recovery from um, addiction to alcohol. So I'm very familiar with the, you know, the recovery movement. Uh, but on the other hand, it's a completely different ballgame when it's your child you're dealing with.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is a completely different ballgame. But it's nice because this is what's really positive, too, is you've really targeted parents. What are some of the... Tips. Just give us the first thing. If if a parent came to you and said to you, Linda, I have a daughter and there's an addiction issue and I don't know what to do, I don't know where to go, what's the first thing you would say to her?
2: Well, the first thing I would say is that I would look for um, an addiction medicine specialist if they haven't already Mm-hmm. Those are the people who are really trained to understand the symptoms of the disease, and oftentimes there are um, there's a problem very frequently with, with women of all ages with serious depression mm. and other kinds of issues, and that needs to be addressed as well as um, the addiction itself. And so that would be the first thing that I would suggest, is to get get somebody who really understands the disease and how to treat it properly. And um, I would also uh, be, you know, I I talk to people all the time and I say, learn everything you can about addiction so you understand, you know, what is going on and how you can be of help and where you can't be of help, by the way.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, and where you can't be of help, and where is that? Where is it that you? Where is it that you just have to say, "Look, I have to let my child work this through with the therapist or with what they're doing."
2: Well, or you know, it's it's, it's that's a hard one to answer because I think I think we're all we all have different um, thresholds, if you will, in dealing with um, any kind of. Uh, life crisis. Mm-hmm. But I think it has to do with coming to terms with the fact that uh, it's like an old Al-Anon saying that I didn't cause this disease and I can't cure it. And so it it means realizing that um, my desire to protect my child and to keep my ch- my child uh, safe um, is something that actually can become harmful sometimes in dealing with addiction. And why that is, is because, and I learned this for myself, unknowingly, I was trying to protect her from the consequences of what she was doing. And I was Mm -hmm. trying to protect myself, I think. Mm -hmm, And, you know, I had to learn that I needed to Just as, you know, when you have a little kid who's getting on that first bicycle and that you take away the training wheels, it's a kind of, you know, the imagery is, is, I think, very apt because sometimes they have to fall down. They have to get those bruises and those scrapes, knowing that we love them and that we're going to be there to to, um, soothe them, but allowing them to go through what they need to go
1: through. Mm, Yeah, and that's sometimes hard to watch, isn't it?
2: I think it's hard at every stage with our our own children, but um, I think that... um,
1: Why do you think, I want to ask you about the addiction rate. Do you think that it is climbing among young women? It seems to be. And why do you think that that is? Are we not communicating effectively? Are we not spending time talking to our kids? I mean, what do you think it is? Why is it... um, why is it underdiagnosed, and why is the addiction rate a-climbing among young women?
2: Uh, why, why is addiction underdiagnosed among young women?
1: Yeah, I mean, they continue to be underdiagnosed, yes, and the addiction rate's is. climbing. Why is that?
2: Probably for a number of reasons, and I, I think one of them is um, simply that as parents, we, first of all, resist uh, the realization that that might be a problem. And, um, you know, I know that from my own experience, and and I'm not saying that to judge or blame anyone, but it's good to have that in the front of your head when you're dealing with your child. Another reason is because uh, women are often good at hiding it. Um, historically, there's been more, even more shame, a shame attached to Women using drugs or alcohol, and um, young girls this might this is thoroughly unscientific, but I think they're sneakier, I think they are they definitely are more verbally adept than young men because their brains have have advanced a bit further along than than young men and when they're teenagers and so They tend not to get in the kind of trouble, the kind of risk-taking behavior that a a young man might get into, Mm. you know, like, Mm. this is part of of the hormonal thing that's going on. And so, they they might just spend a lot of time in their room, which is, by the way, something my daughter did a lot, and you think, well, this is a very moody teenager, Mm -hmm. So that's part of the reason. And then when they are diagnosed for depression, and apparently only about one-third of girls are who, who, who need help with depression, it's infrequently that they're also tested for drug use. Mm. But the two do so often go together. And I would just say as a parent to be, be aware of that and, you know, be proactive when you're dealing with... Um, the medical community in that regard.
1: Yeah, very important. All right, we're going to go to break. Um, But let's just ask you one thing. Do you think, before we go to break, do you think the drug tests are an effective deterrent? What do you think about that? Well,
2: I have mixed feelings about that because I think, number one, well, above all, if you're going to do a drug test, have a game plan Mm -hmm. before you do it. Be prepared if the drug test comes back positive with what, how you're going to follow through with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it should be something practical. Also, kids are extremely clever at, um, what's the word I'm looking for here, fudging a drug test. Mm-hmm. So it's one, it's one helpful tool in the kit um, and it can be very helpful. But, but it, I would say there needs to be a whole group of things that we do. And above all, it's how, how much we're conversing and how effectively we're, we're talking with our kids. Yeah.
1: All right. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we are talking to Linda Dahl. Her book is Loving Our Addicted Daughters Back to Life, a guidebook for parents. You're listening to The Patricia Raskin Show right here on voiceamerica.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
0: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. No matter what your current situation is, you have a unique story to your life. It's a dynamically changing story that requires constant adjustments to lifestyle and environment. That includes your home. As you continue to enhance your living space, you are also making overall improvements to increase the value of your home. Join Laura Minniff each Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time for dynamic insights for your home environment on the Voice America Variety Channel. And start living now. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne
2: Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us.
0: are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at patriciaraskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome back. Welcome back to The Patricia Raskin Show. My guest is Linda Dahl. Her book is Loving Our Addicted Daughters Back to Life a guidebook for parents. And Linda Dahl is the author of six books, including Morning Glory, chosen as New York Times Notable Book of the Year. She's been featured on numerous radio and print interviews, including NPR programs, BBC, and other international broadcasts. And she writes about difficult issues and addiction and recovery. And welcome back, Linda. Thank you. All right. question for you is, how can parents distinguish between, you know, the experimenting a little bit, or is it risky behavior, or is it really abuse of drugs or alcohol?
2: You know, I think um, it's hard, and I, I think that the main point to take, up, take from this is that uh, whether it be physical dependence, which is full-blown addiction, or just risky Use or experimenting—that all of these are signs that that there's that, that something is troubling this young woman. And also, we have to keep in mind, and and I it, it is that uh, and this does happen that sometimes uh, it's, there's only one use and it leads to tragedy. Um, mm-hmm. So it it needs to be there. It needs to be dealt with seriously and i but not it but i think that the mistake that sometimes i i certainly made and that other parents have told me they made is that they um both overreacted and underreacted and what i mean by that is that that it it the, their fear was so strong that they would uh you know use draconian methods with their children like mm. the, you know you taking away, you know, all your rights and you're grounded for a month. And actually when we think that through, is that addressing what's really troubling that child? So Mm -hmm. I would say to look at that aspect of it, regardless of where it is on the continuum of use. And that um, remembering, too, that for adolescent girls... um, and this is physiologically, hormonally, when they start to experiment with drugs, they tend to move faster into addiction than boys do. And this is partly because of estrogen and its surges. So I would immediately, if I were the parent, um, speak to my child and say, what's troubling you? How can I help you? And follow that up with... um, you know, with an appointment at um, an addiction counselor who really understands adolescence and preferably one who understands the psychology of women.
1: Mm. Okay, very important. Now, what about parents having the talk? about drugs and alcohol with their daughters? I mean, should you bring up the topic, even if you don't suspect your daughter's using, or should you wait till you see the signs of abuse? Because, you know, you may get a very strong reaction, as I'm sure you know. Yeah, well, you I mean, know what did I, you do with your daughter? Did you bring it up?
2: Well, it was... My, my experience might be a little different because, as I said, I myself am a recovered alcoholic, and, you know, I've been involved in a... 12-step program throughout that recovery. And my daughter, when she was born, I was, I was uh, in recovery. So in one sense, it was natural for her to have one parent who was open about it. And, But on the other hand, she saw the recovery side. She didn't see the downside. Um, I think the talk uh, is something that... Um, is an ongoing conversation, mm-hmm. and it's part of a larger conversation that that we need to have with our kids that I tried to have with my daughter um, and at some point you know it wasn't at some point she wouldn't talk to her parents anymore, uh, mm-hmm. but the conversation did continue after she got well and then then it went well so I think what we need to think about is. Uh, Drugs, this isn't something that just comes out of nowhere. The girls feel a tremendous amount of um, pressure on them in terms of body image. I mean, -hmm. far more than they did when I was a teenager, you know, the social media. So that's one thing. There's the peer pressure. There's the easy availability. There's the fact that for them, the taboo on certain drugs is, is not there, it used to be. So a lot of it is helping our children with, uh, you know, emotional resiliency, as, as another expert called it, and this should really start when they're 9 or 10. As a mm. matter of fact, the statistics show that by the time kids are in middle school, that's almost too late for the talk or for the beginning of the talk, if you will. So it's, it's part and parcel of the whole uh, issue of um, learning how to deal with pressure and stress and what are some alternative ways that are helpful and useful and you know, it, it's not easy, but it absolutely mm-hmm. should be part of uh, what you know our most emotional hygiene, what, if you will.
1: What's the best way to set boundaries for adolescents? What should parents keep in mind when they're doing so?
2: Well, some experts have uh, come up with a lot of tips that I found useful. Um, they and you know, we find a time when they're not tired and they're not stressed. I mean, oftentimes the only time we see our kids is early in the morning or when they're coming home at the end of a long day after school or sports Mm -hmm. or whatever. That's Mm -hmm. not the best time to talk to them about a time and a neutral place if we can, where we can um, start the conversation. They're resistant to these talks. yeah, And so it's often good to talk about other kids, not zero in on them. Mm-hmm. but express our concern for, you know, who knows, there might be a, a neighbor's child who's struggling or something like that, to kind of signal that we're, we're aware of it and, and, and we're not judging it. Um, and involve them and ask them, you know, what they think about that. Mm-hmm. And because they're yeah. expecting a lecture and a confrontation.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: And I think the more we keep it to a health and a safety issue, um, as opposed to the blame game, if you will, that's Mm -hmm. so easy to turn into. And I'm speaking, you know, I was guilty of this sometimes. It's hard not to be, but I think the more we do that, the more effective the talk will be.
1: Yeah, you know, very. Really very important. What would you say are the signs that indicate that a young woman would need a treatment facility? And how do you know, again, if that's going to be effective? Well, kind of two different questions that
2: are both really important. Um, I have, in in my book, I have two and a half pages of signs. There are a lot of things that we can look at. Um, And I would just say that that if there's a cluster of several things, that that's a really good, you know, trust your gut sign. One of the things for young women is, um, and young men, by the way, is a sudden change in friends. Mm. Different friends, or you don't know them, or they won't introduce you to them. That's a biggie. Mm -hmm. Um, For young women... um, Mm -hmm and this was the case with my daughter, suddenly she wasn't didn't seem interest, that interested in grooming. Mm. She was wearing the same clothes, you know, that she would never have done that before. Yeah, see, really, you saw a change. Mm-hmm.
1: Pardon? Yeah, you saw a change.
2: Yes, and then things like, uh, just classic things like spoons going missing, straws going missing, finding tinfoil in the room. Well, there's just a whole lot of things about the paraphernalia that may be in use. Mm -hmm. But um, once you, you know, everyone I've talked to, all the other parents say that they all would, the one thing they would suggest to other parents is trust your instincts. If something tells you, if something feels off, something is off. Well, it may not Mm -hmm. be drugs, but, you know, in this day and age, it very well may be. And then you had asked me about recovery centers, and that's like, Mm -hmm. oh, I could go on and on about it, so cut me off when you need to, but... No, we have about three minutes, so go right ahead. Well, I think this gets to kind of the heart of the the issue, and that is that, you know, we don't have any federal standards for, um, whether you want to call it rehabs, recovery centers, treatment facilities, so... So I, and this was part of the thing that got me to write the book, How, what questions are you supposed to ask them? How do you know if it's an effective treatment mm-hmm. center? Um, there are some things. There's a whole checklist I have in the book. Among them, uh, you know, is do they have a medical, a medical detox on site or as part of their recovery center? That's, that's a, a key. Do they have a family involvement program? They should, um, do they, uh, are they dealing with gender-specific treatment issues? They should because both females and males really need, and in, uh, looking at girls in particular here, there's certain kinds of therapy they need. Trauma is, uh, is frequent, it's as high as 80% among addicted women of all ages. And it's often because of sexual trauma, though not always. This is something they're not going to talk about. It's, it takes a long time, which is why they suggest at least 90 days of treatment, plus a good aftercare plan. And it sounds overwhelming at first, but the thing is, it's to me it's like, all right, this is a disease, it's a, it's a very serious disease, and just as it's... With any other disease, if, the, if I'm told by the medical, uh, my doctors, you know, this is the best cancer center for you, and this is what it's going to take, well, that's what I'm going to do. Um, um, we need to have the same attitude about uh, the disease of addiction and the fact that very often there are co-occurring disorders, as they call it, and, and anything from depression to... Um, you know, anxiety, bipolar. There can be a a, a range of things.
1: All right, right. go ahead, because we're going to have to close. Such important information. Just give us your message for our listeners. We have maybe about 30 seconds left.
2: There's hope, and there are 23 million Americans in recovery. A lot of them are young people. You know, keep the faith and find out everything you can about addiction. And how you can help your daughters.
1: All right. Thank you so much for being on the program. Really appreciate it. Well, Thank I you. appreciate very much your, your offer. <laughs> All right. Linda <laughs> Dahl, question. the author of Loving Our Addicted Daughters Back to Life, a guidebook for parents. And the website, Linda, is? Uh, lindadahl.com. Uh, Okay, D-A-H-L. All right, folks, stay in line for a minute. All right, uh, coming up next is our second interview right here on voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. I'm
0: Patricia Raskin.